Uh, so we're going to do a psalm a, a week. Uh, Dave and I planned that uh, together. Um, the point is just to show different, uh, uh, different emotions from three different psalms. So um, just kind of a, a mini-series where we're going this morning. We had chosen for this morning uh, Psalm 46.1 uh, or Psalm 46. Uh, I think we'll find that to be um, fortuitous that that is where we have gone uh, this morning. Um, so let me let me say this by by way of of introduction because it, it'll it'll help us contextualize. I think it's been probably a difficult and upsetting week for a lot of people this week, and that's probably true, by the way, of any week in which we which we live. Uh, life is a is a struggle, and sometimes uh, when life is going very well or, or things are going down, we don't always recognize the struggle. But I think uh, this week, or at least this week, hit me um, as, as more of a more of a struggle. I would suggest um, my goal is to not um, to not politicize this message or in any way. Or, or be political, but at the, at the same time, speak to the reality of, of happenings in our in our country and happenings where we live, in, in those those sorts of things. And so, I'm going to try my best not to make it political because I, I think that there's a danger in that. And yet, at the same time, some of what I watch happen on our political scene, uh, and this is no different than any other year in which we've lived probably, some of what, I, what I'm seeing happen is, is distressing. Uh, I think um, there are a lot of frightened people in, in our country, a lot of scary things happened, uh, certain orders having to do with the, uh, the new presidency and, and immigration and refugees are particularly, uh, particularly scary. They hit really hard into, um, into the church a lot of times because uh, most of the most of the organizations dealing with refugee settlement, refugee resettlement, refugee help, most of those are Christian organizations. We have a long history of doing that. There's a good reason we have a long history of doing that. It's it's God's heart in the Old Testament. In Exodus, He tells uh, He tells the the nation of Israel how they ought to deal with refugees. Uh, in the New Testament, especially, I'm thinking of. Um, of Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, he uses essentially a, a, a refugee motif to suggest that God has, has drawn us near. So I think that's close to the, to, the, to the heart of God. It's particularly close in neighborhoods like, like Godwin Heights and, um, and Godfrey Lee, where we do our primary ministry right now. Uh, Godfrey Lee, at this point, you know, over 85% uh, Latino and Hispanic there. That's an immigrant people. Godwin Heights, if you don't know Godwin Heights uh, or understand Godwin Heights this is uh, because this is where I grew up. Godwin Heights was not always a highly diverse school. It had some diversity but it was not highly diverse. What happened was in the, the late the late 80s uh, very early 90s Godwin began one of the first English as a second language programs in the in the area and when they began that program uh, 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 refugee resettlement groups began to send students to, to Godwin Heights. And so, for instance, when Rob, uh, Rob Rummel and I were in, in, in middle school and somewhat into our elementary years, we started to see uh, large 
numbers of refugees and, and, and immigration and immigrants come into our, our school. Uh, at one point, it could be said that in, that in Godwin Heights in the high school, and I haven't heard the numbers recently, but there were something like 48 different languages spoken in, in the school because of refugee resettlement groups and, and people helping, helping refugees. Uh, Godwin Heights is one of the first neighborhoods in America to be a resettlement place for the Lost Boys of Sudan. Um, if you don't know the story of the Lost Boys of Sudan, the Lost Boys of, of Sudan were, uh, were the African majority in, in Sudan. There was, a, there was an uh, Arab minority in Sudan, but the Arab minority had uh, control over oil fields and control over those sorts of things, so they had more political power and they would persecute um, the people in, in, south, in the southern part of, of Sudan. And so there was a time when, when large persecutions were breaking out in Sudan and whole families were being killed. And so um, to come here, the Lost Boys of Sudan, they had to establish that they had no family uh, to speak of because their family had been killed through the war. And uh, I remember talking to one of the Lost Boys uh, in... Um, probably 15 years ago, just talking to him and discovering that like the number one causes of death among his people were lion attacks and war. And, and they had actually literally been wandering around Sudan from place to place trying to protect each other. Uh, these young teen boys for, for years and years and years had wandered. He told stories that they would essentially eat bark because that's all they could find and they would try and protect the younger boys from the, the attacks of, of lions. And so, uh, we, we stepped in uh, nationally at that point, offered a, a place of resettlement for them, and Goblin Heights became one of the first places that, uh, that the Lost Boys were resettled. That hits even closer to home in, in this sense. One of Jeremiah's uh, close friends, one of my, my junior high son's uh, close friends, uh, was one of the first grandchildren or I shouldn't say grandchildren, I'm sorry, was one of the first children of, of the Lost Boys born here in, in, in America. He was the first of the, of, of the, of the children locally. And so immigration uh, stuff and, and refugee stuff, for me, hits particularly close to home. Um, and so there have been recently several... Uh, Several executive orders and other things uh, limiting the, the movement, um, doing other things that, that make it uh, harder for refugees to receive the help that they, they need and different helps in, in our country. Uh, no matter where you are politically uh, on, that, on that spectrum, I think it's hard to watch and read about places like Aleppo and what's going on in Syria. It's hard to understand things like what has gone on in, in Sudan and to not have a broken heart at the very least for the people. And I'm not, I'm not so concerned with the politics, but there should be a broken heart for, for the people. And so uh, I've been watching that and that's, that's been a little stressful to me this week. And then I want to say secondarily this, or in there, actually this might be the major issue to, to me, is this is one of the things I've, I've always believed and one of the things we've been seeing for years in, in church planting is that though the Great Commission is certainly go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing all the nations, teaching them to obey, one of the cool things that's happened over the last uh, 
the last however many years is that the nations have been immigrating to us. So there's, if you go to New York City, you can find a person from every nation on the earth living within, within New York City. And so uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, especially Wyoming, Godwin Heights, Michigan is not New York City, but the immigration has been, has been so significant that you have all the nations living here. So we know uh, people from Sudan, and we know people from Rwanda, and we know people from all over South and Central America, and we know people from Ethiopia, and we know people from Sierra Leone, and we know people from, from Burma. Uh, these are just people that my kids have, have gone to school with, and, and we know these sorts of things. And so it's always been sort of a, sort of a blessing to me, this reality that God has been, has been moving the nations closer to us, because the reality is, is that most of us will never be able to physically go to, to uh, many of, of these countries. And yet God in, in his goodness has been sending the countries to us, sending the nations to us. And so one of my passions has been to see immigrant peoples uh, encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ here in America. That, that's been happening. And so while I'm passionate that we go to the nations, it's been amazing to watch God bring the nations, nations to us. One of the things I know as a, as, a, as a missionary and a pastor is also this, is that people out of their homeland and out of their comfort uh, system oftentimes are much more receptive to the gospel. And so one common thing that happens with, with this sort of thing, especially if it's a situation where it's temporarily unsettled in their, the nation that they, they came from, is that they come to America a lot of times, they encounter Jesus Christ and they become Christ followers, and then as soon as they can, they go back home to their home nation and they bring the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It, it's a, um, in that sense, kind of a gospel boomerang. They come, they encounter Christ, they go back, and they become pastors to their to their own people and so one of the things I'm I'm passionate about one of the things I've been very excited about is to see this gospel expansion to see the good news happening um, and to see uh, that the nations could encounter uh, encounter Christ and that that could happen not only in their home nations though we certainly need to send 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 missionaries to 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 nations but that the nations as they were coming to us are encountering Christ and oftentimes being sent back as as pastors um, I have friends who are actively involved in in hosting Chinese host families I have another friend a missionary in New York City who's ministering predominantly amongst um, Chinese college students who are going to go home and one of the big things is to share Christ with them while they're here to disciple them and send them back to be pastors in their own nation where oftentimes um, uh, it might be harder or mid more difficult for an American to get in and so uh, so one of the things that happened I, I saying that to say this is that one of the things that happened this week as I, as I watched, um, and if you got a chance to watch the news yesterday, it was a pretty rough day for us as a country. Um, legal immigrants, people with green cards being detained in airports, being, being locked away, treated like, like criminals and other things, uh, making it difficult. I began to fear that, that, that an attack on refugees can be an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's sort of my concern. I, I am much less concerned about the political thing. What I am concerned about is that, is that Jesus' name be proclaimed and Jesus' name be known. And so that was really difficult for me. So it's one of the difficulties that, um, that I, I was dealing with. Um, 
I just want to emphasize this. Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. So that's, that's one thing. But it, it's, not, it's not just that. That's just kind of one thing I'm, I'm dealing with. There, there's also this, this reality that all of us sort of live everyday life, and you went through stuff this week. And some weeks, you don't go through any, you know, stuff. And then other weeks, it, it feels like it's just you're being buried under the stuff, so to speak. You're just going through so much, and you're like, why is this week like this? Um, and I don't mean like the average everyday stuff. Like if you're the kind of person who gets upset because your coffee is not, is not warm enough or it's too hot, or if you alternate those two day by day and you're just always sad about it, that's not what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Because that probably requires from you a better orientation to dealing with your situation. That's not when, but we go through difficulty. So there's a reality, and especially as we grow older as we live longer right and some of you are very young um, and, and some of us are, are, are older and some of us are in between but even in my I, what I think is sort of in betweenness I feel older each day and what I've discovered is there's more struggle with each day and with 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 encountering and knowing more and more people and more and more things and so as you get older, you encounter different things. And so some of you have been gone, gone through the, the difficulty of losing family members or uh, losing mothers and fathers, and you've had to walk through that situation. Some of you have walked through the situation of persistent, serious sickness in, in either your body or in the body of one of your, your, your family members, and, and the reality is that they might not heal from that that sickness. And so I don't know what you've encountered this week, but I do know that at some day, in some week in your life, you're probably going to have that encounter in a world broken by sin, where sickness is a reality, where, where aging happens to all of us and death is the end result of, of, of aging. We all live in a place where one day we're going to die and as humans we're not well equipped to to deal with that reality or that that process so I don't know what you've been through this week I just know that the longer I live there the more weeks I encounter situations where 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 sickness is preying on the bodies of people that I love and people that that I care for and then there's there's the reality of, of living in everyday average human life where you think everything is, is going well and things just turn awful in the middle of, of things and, and you have to deal with situations so I'm thinking here of, of family strife and family discord and, and things that can happen in, in a family not just like like the normal stuff where um, where you ask your child to clean the room uh, they don't and you argue about that for days but sometimes and some of us are going through like serious honest family discord and that that can hurt and so all of that, that to say is that we sort of live in this reality where this life is kind of messed up, right? And um, for me, it, it, it's, it's realizing that, that God has called me as a Christ follower to inhabit um, not only uh, the pain of, of the people in this congregation as they walk through it, not only the pain of my family when we walk through it, but, but the pain of, of, of the, the immigrant and the refugee, I think we can make a clear case from Scripture that we should inhabit as well. So I do think in a lot of senses, if you're like me, that this maybe could have been a difficult week, and if this wasn't a difficult week, you should have all the praise you can have for the Lord, but also be aware that difficult weeks are, are coming. 
And one of the problems, I think, and one of the realities of our American brand of Christianity, uh, and it really is, has become a problem with our Christianity, is we are not used to struggle. We do not like struggle, and we do not view struggle as a part of our Christian faith. We almost view struggle, pain, all of these things as, as antithetical to or... or, or um, or something that is damaging to our Christian faith. Uh, there's lots of reasons for this. Most of us rightly know that if we turn on the TV and we see a lady preacher with purple hair telling us to send her money and God will bless us, we know to turn that channel and not listen to that. And yet, a lot of her theology ha ha has, has slowly crept its way into the church. And so the people on TV are what is usually called the health and wealth gospel, which essentially argues this, that if you love Jesus enough, Jesus is going to make you healthy and he's going to make you rich. It's the problem with that theology in general is that everybody who has ever espoused it eventually dies. And so there's a, there's a problem with it. You would think at some point the espousers of that that would be so holy that maybe sickness would not take them, but sickness always does take them. Death is total in every generation. So most of us rightly reject the idea that, that God wants us to be rich. Most of us do not rightly reject what I call prosperity gospel light, which is God might not want me to be rich, but he certainly wants me to be comfortable. And if he doesn't want me to be comfortable, he certainly doesn't want me to struggle. God might not want that, but it is not God's will for me that I experience any sort of pain. This is kind of a kind, you might not know that you believe it, but probably someplace trapped within you is, is, is your, own, uh, your own inner theologian who has been telling you and trying to convince you that what God has for you is, is, is comfort from the struggles of, of the reality of, of humanity. And frankly, I think that theology, which is warped, is keeping us from going deeper into Jesus, which is dangerous and awful. So, if you consider America, these numbers are for John Piper, but uh, outside of America in the world today, one out of every three deaths is the death of a child under five. 125,000 children die every week from malnutrition and simple infections that we control with inexpensive vaccinations. So, Welcome to America. We have inexpensive vaccinations. Our children are, are, not, are not dying. Uh, one of Noah's friends actually got bacterial meningitis, ended up in the, in the hospital. Um, he gets to come home Tuesday, but he is going to live. In many of the countries around the world, he would have had no chance. It would have been a sixth grader gone from the planet. Uh, in America, there are 546,000 doctors, 133,000 dentists, and 1.5 million nurses. If you go to India, which has three and a half times the number of people that America does living there, there are half the number of doctors, 90% fewer nurses, and 93% fewer dentists. It's the reason why when we go on mission trips often into third world countries, places like India, the Philippines, that we do medical and, mission, and, and, and dental 
missionary work, it's because they don't have access to that. And we sort of take that for granted. Uh, I take it so for granted that I have an openly hostile relationship with dentists, uh, which I'm always trying not to go to. But at least I can have an openly hostile relationship with the dentist. I went so much as a small child. I'd been there so much. I, had, uh, I got a tooth kicked out when I was in fourth grade. Then I had an underbite. Then I need braces. Then I broke my retainer about 80 times, lost a couple of those. So I was at the dentist a lot growing up. Uh, my dentist growing up uh, was kind of a goofball. So I have this, but I live in America, right? And I can have the, uh, I have the ability to be openly hostile. If we can be just perfectly honest, my front three teeth are fake that were put in by, uh, by an implant because they were kicked out and because I had a bridge for 25 years and because of all that. If I live in, in another place, it might not be awful, but you're getting a different picture preaching at you at this moment because I don't have any of these teeth, right? <laughs> but I have access to things that they don't have, and that's not struggle, it's just reality. In the entire country of Mozambique, where uh, uh, there are 16 million people, but there's only 279 doctors, 96 dentists, and 2,600 nurses in Guinea, uh, there's almost seven people. There's 300 doctors, 21 dentists, 1,600 nurses. And uh, these numbers are, are old, uh, almost 20 years old now, but the change has not been significant, the number I'm about to get you. But 23% of the world is completely ignorant of Christianity, Christ, and the gospel. 1.2 billion people and thousands of unreached people groups. After 2,000 years of standing orders from King Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Less than 9% of all Christian missionaries are targeting those, those ethnic groups, by the way. And I just, I tell you that to, tell you, to make this point, that you live in America and you've got things pretty good. And if you don't think that you've got things pretty good, you have not dealt with the harsh reality of being someplace besides here. You need to get out more. Go on the internet and start to Google the reality of life in other places. I did this for a Christmas project last year in which we made the manger of Jesus out of a collage and we googled and we got a picture of every nation on earth and we cut it into that but one of the interesting things is I googled every nation on earth what I realized is that the majority of the pictures I got when I googled other nations on earth were not happy pictures of people dancing but rather they were war and famine and sickness that is the reality outside of the country that you've been blessed by God to live in what we need to deal with, honestly, is whether you are treating it like a blessing or whether that blessing is a curse to you. And we'll, we'll get to that, that in a minute. I am simply saying that we live in a great place and we have convinced ourselves that the reason we live in a great place is because America is better, because America is holier and America is specialer. Right? We are essentially God's new people. Um, I saw this week a movie called Silence. Silence is based upon a novel from, from, from the 60s. Um, I don't think it's a true story, but it is amazingly well-researched and, and amazingly um, accurate, given what I know from other missionary um, biography. The movie Silence tells the story uh, of priests in Japan in the 1600s. The priests had gone to Japan in the 1600s. They had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ in Japan in the 1600s. People had come to Christ in the 1600s, and then a massive persecution broke out against the church, and it was essentially stomped out, and the priests run out of, 
of, of Japan. I, won't, I don't want to spoil that, that movie uh, for you, so I won't continue there, but I watched this movie about the persecution breaking out in Japan, and I watched this argument between the imperial, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the imperial leader, the, the, uh, the, the, the inquisitor, the, the man who was responsible for stomping out Christianity in Japan and, and, and the priest. And I watched the story and, and essentially the argument was made over and over again that Christianity was a Western religion. Never mind that, the, that our religion has its roots in Asian and African soil. It's not a Western religion. We've just tended to make it so. But that was a Western religion who could never grow, grow in, in, in Japan. And that the roots could never, uh, never settle in Japan. They thought differently that Japan was a swamp where nothing grew. There was a point where there, there were many, many, many believers in Japan, and then tens upon thousands upon thousands were killed for their faith in Japan. They went underground. They drove the priest out. So this was an interesting scene because it, though a fictional story is based in facts, here's what I know about Japan right now, that Japan has something like 122 million people and less than 2% of them uh, are, are followers of the good news of, of Jesus Christ, making it one of the largest unreached nations on, on the planet. And I don't ever really hear people talking about our need to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ in, in Japan. In fact, in Japan right now, their society is, is, is falling apart. The, the old traditions were, were connected and the old traditions worked until until the economy fell apart. When the economy started to, to fall apart, uh, um, things changed. And so the young people w uh, are, are rejecting the, the old ways, and yet they are putting their energy into nothing else. It is a shame-based culture, and they have no idea how to overcome their shame. Their birth rates are, are falling because the men are not loving their wives and going home and having children with their wives. In fact, to cover their, their some sort of shame, it is common for the men to consort with prostitutes openly with the permission of their wives so that they might not deal into the, move into the shame of their, their relationship. Amongst the young people, they're so into technology, they're not even pursuing relationship, all of which to say is Japan's a pretty messed up situation, which frankly, the good news of Jesus Christ is the answer to. And my question is exactly who's telling them I say all of this to say that you live in the United States of America, which seems like a pretty good situation, where you worship freely this morning. I could say anything this morning. You can be here, and you get to sing to Jesus in a little while this morning. In most of the church around the world where it's thriving and growing, doesn't have those same opportunities. This conversation earlier this week with one of my kids about, about what happens when they make Christianity illegal and, and what happens, we talked about in most places, not all places. Like in Japan, they were able to stomp it out. In China, they weren't. China attempted the same things. It's interesting watching this movie about, about evangelists in, in, in Japan. I know the story of Lottie Moon, uh, our, uh, a missionary to China in the very same time where the exact same things happened. And they were able to stop it out for a while. They were able to drive out the missionaries, but eventually Christianity exploded in China and continues to explode at such a fast rate that even though the church is not free, even though the church is often persecuted, Christianity explodes. We were talking about why does that happen? And what we came down to is this, is that perhaps when, 
when the church is in suffering, it discovers that Jesus is who he said he is, and Jesus does what he says he does, and Jesus' love is enough, and Jesus is enough. Maybe that's why Christianity explodes. And so I say all of that to you as way of introduction to introduce Psalm 46 to say it has been a difficult week, and perhaps... Jesus people, there are more difficult weeks ahead for us in this country. I do not think that as Jesus followers, we can stand idly by and watch people of the world be mistreated, especially when it's outside the laws of our land to do so, to watch them be mistreated when our God, as he gives his word to us in this book, told us how to treat foreigners, how to treat people who were different with us. When God said to us, go into all the world, and when the flow of the world is stopping coming into America, an attack on refugees is no doubt an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ being shared with people. It is stopping the flow of the clear communication of the gospel. We need to stand against that. And so I don't know whether days are going to get better. I do know that each of you is going to get older. I know that there are sicker days ahead of you. There are days that you are not going to feel, feel well. We have not experienced much tragedy in our congregation. I know I come from a family where we had experienced no tragedy, where things went so well up until, uh, up until 17 years ago. 17 years and three days now, four days now. Uh, one morning, my nephew went to sleep at 11 months old and did not wake up. Tragedy found our family two days, by the way, before Haley was born into our, our uh, born to Libby and I. I do know that we had experienced no tragedy until that moment when tragedy decided to hit. And I do know this, that, that the effects of, of the world are all around you and you live in a broken place. So more tragedy, more pain, and more struggle is probably going to befall you. And the question is, are you going to reject that? like the TV preacher would tell you, and say, that is the work of the devil, or are you going to embrace it and say, this is given to me so that I, like my Lord, might suffer, so that I might know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, so that somehow I might obtain resurrection from the dead. What are you going to do? And so all of that introduction was to suggest to you that more suffering, more struggle might come. We might find ourselves in a place where, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself in when he had to stand up and call the church to be confessing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a German theologian, a member of the church. When the German church was given in to the Nazis and doing whatever the Nazis said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to stand up and say, no, we must be a confessing church. If we say we follow Jesus, we must oppose the Nazis. I don't know what's happening in this country. We just preach through revelation. I said to you, I don't make any promises about this. What I do know is this, is that you, if you know Jesus, you are citizens of another place. You have another ruler, another king, and it's not a president, it's a lord, and he has a kingdom that is unshakable, and so suffering is probably going to come to you. Will you allow suffering to steal your joy? Will you allow suffering to, to steal your... All of those, those things. And so what are you going to do with suffering? I simply want to introduce it by saying this is that Jesus himself suffered. He is our Lord and our God. The uniform teaching of Scripture seems to be that if you follow him, you follow him and you walk like he walked. And so if Jesus suffered, who in the world are we to think that suffering does not have its eyes on us as well? Because I don't know. We may be called to a place of being a confessing church. We may be... If... Um, if the Constitution of this country can, by the way, be circumvented for anything to sign executive orders and 
it's refugees that they come from. I, and this is, this is not even a statement on, uh, on the current president or anything. It's just a statement about if that can happen, there's a time in the, in the, when the executive order can come for Christ followers too. That, that's a reality. And so I don't know what your, your future holds. I do know that there may be a time where you had to stand in a way like you've never stood before. So an introduction to say for me watching it, and I'm my number one passion, you know, um, I struggle with so many things. And even in my walk with the I struggle with things. But one of the things that's consistent is like God has put in me this burning passion to see people know and glorify his name. And so that's why kind of this week, worried me but I don't know what you're going through and it could have been home it could have been that's that's an example to talk about me but I know that this Psalm 46 responds to where I was this week I think it responds to what's going on in this country and it responds to probably where all of us are going to end up at some point eventually and so the question is what are we going to do with it so Psalm 46 says this God is our refuge in strength a very present help in trouble Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, through the, through the, uh, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the words of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The children of Israel, David, uh, the, the, the choir master writing here, it's not a psalm of David, it's a, it's a psalm of another psalm writer, but he's writing and he's one of the children of Israel and they were constantly in struggle, right? Suffering was endemic to who they were, uh, attack, persecution was common to who they were. Uh, they did not have, like we tend to have in this country, an expectation of reasonable participation in their government, right? They're like, we don't like how we're being treated. Let's vote about it. That didn't happen. They were a persecuted class that was viewed as outside. <laughs> they were outside. This is their, their history. They're, they're a nation on the run. They're a nation in captivity at times. They're a nation in, in slavery. This is, this is who they are. And so they are no stranger to suffering, and he writes this song. He says, God is our refuge and our strength. When suffering comes, when suffering comes, where will you run with your suffering? What will you do with it? You could allow it to make you angry at God. You could allow it to make you rebellious against God. You could allow it to do all of those things but I would suggest that what you should do is run to God. The, the testimony here is that he's a refuge in our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. That's not a future statement, right? 
God is your help and strength that, so that you endure what you're going through in the moment that one day God will be a uh, strength. One day God will be. It doesn't say that. He says God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. He didn't just say he's a present help in trouble. He said a very present help in trouble. So that we know, yes, you will walk through sufferings. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles. The world hated me. It's going to hate you. In this world you will have troubles. Yes, but the, 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 the testimony of Scripture is this. God is a very present help in the midst of now. God does not lead you to future. He does not lead you to, to, to a moment of, of, or leave you to a situation where you just get run over, run over, get wrecked, get wrecked, and say, if I can just hold out, one day God will be my help when I die and get to heaven. It's a present help in the midst of your suffering. Your suffering is not useless. But rather, in the midst of it, if it drives you to encounter and to know the God of the universe better, your suffering becomes meaningful. There's a purpose. It's a present help. And so, not always is God going to be that present by taking away the suffering, but he's going to encounter you in the midst of the suffering and be your present help. It's will you trust God to be that? Will you, will you lean into God enough to experience that? Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. They're, they're, they're talking about this. The ocean, often thought of uh, in ancient times as a place where, where, where evil came from, where danger came from. Bad things happen, come from the ocean sort of naturally. And so they have a fear of the ocean. They're using it as a picture. They say, the ocean's foaming. Evil's waiting at the door, waiting to swallow us up, waiting to wipe us out, waiting to take us into the deep, waiting to destroy us. The ocean is out there foaming and it's, and it's angry. What will we do? Verse 4 is the contrast. But there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. This is a different kind of water. The oceans foam and the oceans are ready to attack. But in the city of the Most High, where we get to dwell, when, where we, when we are in relationship with God, our inhabitation, our, our citizenship, there's a river running through. And I'm not sure that bubbling brook is the right term, but what we know is it's not an angry river. It's a wonderful river bringing water and bringing bringing, uh, water to drink and and water to refresh. And it's water that brings life. It's the contrast. While the oceans outside are foaming, the God is bringing to his people a river, and the river is bringing life. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That's his, his holy habitation right? Zion, his people. You are that holy habitation. We, his people, are the dwelling place of the Most High. And so he is in the midst of us. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Suffering's a reality. Suffering's likely to come to you in normal situations, but in in, in these days, as we grow closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus, there's no guarantees on what's going to happen in the geopolitical, all of those sorts of things. There's no guarantee what's going to happen in your life. Tragedy sometimes befalls us. Most people don't expect to get sick, but the reality is, is that some people die 
young. I remember when I had a friend, he got cancer. He got, uh, he got stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was a pastor, and people would come to him, and they'd say, Lee, Lee, don't worry. God's going to heal you of this. God's going to heal you of this. I know it. And Lee would have to say to them, he'd look at them and say, I want you to know people die from what I have. And I want you to know that so that you understand that if I die, God is still good. You don't expect, but there, there could be things coming for you. And I'm not, I'm not trying to move you to a place of depression or a place of worry, but the reality is, is that a long life of prosperity or even middle-class success or even a picket fence or even just a house that we own in the midst of God, it's not promised to any of us. We don't know what comes. And yet what is promised is even better. God is in the midst of her, her, his city, his people, and she will not be moved. God will help when the morning dawns. This life has struggle, but you are not a citizen of this place, and your future is not bound up with this life. You get to live in a reality where God has broken into the midst of history. Like Pastor Dave talked about last week, when the resurrection happened, Jesus broke into history, and he brought the new heaven and the new earth into the middle of it. You are resurrection people. God dwells with you. You might suffer in the human sense. You might hurt in the human sense. What will you do with it? Will, you dr will it drive you closer to him? Or will you make the error of rejecting your suffering as the work of Satan? God's in the midst of it. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Not God's kingdom. The nations, right? The nations of, of, of the earth. Our own, right? Iran, Syria, Libya. The nations rage. They totter. But he or, or utters his voice and the earth melts. It's this reminder. Who exactly do you think is in charge of everything? Who do you think is running this? Who do you think is in control? This is the reminder at his voice, right? We live in, in a place where, where the nations plot and the nations plan and the nations scheme. That's why we have all this political back and forth. The news channels make all kinds of money reporting on the scheming of men. We scheme and we elect and we talk about it. democracy or communism or, or fascism, all, all this stuff. There's all these different kinds of rulers and God says in reality, they're not, they're not legitimate rulers. They scheme but when I speak, the earth melts. His voice needs no election. His voice needs no coalition. His voice needs no public opinion poll. CNN doesn't have to report on it. He doesn't need a mouthpiece to explain what he is doing to the news. He's given us a mouthpiece. It's here. But here's the thing. When he speaks, when he opens his mouth, the plotting of the nations is in vain. They can't stand against him. This is our God. The whole earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Your protection. Verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought, the <laughs> he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Right? There's coming a time when the wars will be wiped out by his peace, by who he is. It's interesting in this, this movie, Silence, 
I was watching about these, these missionaries who are going all over, all over, all over, and they're being persecuted in some of the most horrific ways I've ever, ever seen. And again, not a true story, but so based in, in reality, every mission biography. This happens uh, where in the, these nations, the persecutions were intense and almost impossible to watch for their gruesomeness. These horrible things. But the interesting thing is that these priests, these, these people uh, who, had, who had gone, knowing the dangers, gone to spread the word of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in this dangerous place, always greeted each other, Pax Christi. It means the peace of Christ. Now, there seemed to be no peace. There seemed to be no peace, but my suggestion would be that perhaps for a person who understands exactly what his kingdom habitation is, who understands exactly who his Lord is, someone who has rushed into the, into the city of Zion, someone who God dwells with, someone who God is helping when the morning dawns, maybe in the midst of earthly struggle, maybe in the midst of earthly war, he has the freedom to declare that he is of another kingdom and still confess pact. Christi, the peace of Christ. At any rate, that peace is coming. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He's going to wipe it out. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let me suggest to you this. You will likely suffer. If you suffer, if you go through things, perhaps instead of viewing it as God's attack upon you, maybe you should view it as God's blessing to you. Maybe you should view it as God's care and concern for you. And I'm not telling you to be, a, um, to be a masochist, maybe that's the word, to be someone who's seeking out pain and see, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in the everyday life of following Jesus, suffering comes, right? We're called to holiness, right? We're called to, to follow and walk with him. We're called to walk in the way that he does. Don't get confused. Yes, we are, we are a people who believe that God sovereignly elected us. We are a people who believe that the Holy Spirit is conforming us, but we're not opposed to the, to, to the hard work of becoming more and lo- more like Jesus. We, we're going to work at that, right? And the Bible's not opposed to it. It's opposed to the idea that we could earn that, which we can't. But we should, we should be working out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? And so so maybe as, as, as you're walking through that and you're becoming more like him and you encounter him more and more, I would suggest to you that maybe part of what God is going to use to make you holy is suffering. And you might not want to hear that. I certainly didn't want to hear that. Sometimes when I preach these things, I think that it should affect my prayers. But you read that and you think about the context of this message, it becomes a scary prayer, doesn't it? God, I want to know you more. And if suffering is the means by which I know you more, then I welcome it. I don't want to pray that prayer. I forced myself to pray that prayer last night. I don't know if I meant the words yet. Right? Those are scary words. But, but, but. I want to live in a place where I can confess that God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in time of trouble. 
Though that fear, that, that I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling, though there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I want the gladness of the city of God. I want the stillness of the person of God. And if I want those things, and if suffering is what it takes, if suffering is what Jesus experienced, if I want to be like Jesus, maybe I'm going to have to experience suffering. That's a reality in a prayer I don't want to pray, and yet it is a reality. I say this to you often, that I do not have, perhaps, sometimes the flowery messages that other people give where they say, come to Jesus, it will be amazing. I, I used to work at a Christian camp, and we used to do testimony night on Fridays. And in testimony night on Fridays, someone would have invariably met Jesus and an experience with him during the week, and then he'd want other people to experience it. And so he'd give his testimony, and sometimes the testimonies amongst the young teens would be like this. I accepted Jesus, and you need to accept him too because it's awesome. It's like better than anything. Like, I don't do drugs, but I bet you it's better than doing drugs, and it's better than you need to because he's the best thing ever. Sometimes I wish I could come and give you an adult version of that. Except Jesus. He's going to give you a big house, a successful life. All your children are going to follow him and they're going to do the right thing all the time. They're not going to be disobedient and they're going to pursue Jesus with all their being. And God's not only going to make you successful, he's going to make them successful. So your children are going to be doctors and not missionaries to Japan or Papua New Guinea or someplace like that. Like God's going to do that. Like I wish I could give you that message. I just don't think it's biblical. And I don't think it gives you what you need because I think that's a distortion of Jesus and I think you need Jesus. And if there's one bedrock thing I know because after 41 or 42, wherever we are right now, um, years of living, what I know is this, is that every day I know less and less and less and less and less. I'm convinced of how, but this is the one thing I do know, that knowing Jesus is the only thing I want to know, the only thing I can't know and the only thing that makes sense to me ever at all. In my, in my sinfulness, in my wrongness, in my brokenness, in my wanderingness, though I, though I don't pursue him, he pursues me. Though I don't love him often, he loves me. Though I bring no blessing to him, he brings blessing to me. Knowing Jesus is all I have and all I can desire. So I know so little, but I know this, that you need Jesus and it changes everything. And I wish, I wish I could stand up here and say, if you accept him, he's going to make everything better and you're going to be rich. That is a lie that I can't tell. But I will tell you this. Here's my belief. I believe that if you follow Jesus, you might encounter suffering. Jesus did. I believe if you follow Jesus, you might encounter persecution. Jesus did. I believe if you follow Jesus, it's possible in the coming days that you might die. Jesus did. But I also believe this. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Death has no hold on you. And knowing Jesus, even if you have to follow him to death, is the only thing that gives meaning, the only thing that's worthwhile, the only thing that makes your existence and my existence worthy of living. Jesus is better. You name it, he's better. You could have the car, you can have the house, you can have the neighborhood, you can have the success. Those things might have become a distraction to me and confuse me because what I know is this, only Jesus is worth it. Remember standing in the Philippines um, a couple years back. We went to an island called uh, um, I forget where we were on the we were on the, on the island. Uh, it wasn't Cebu, but it's right by there. Uh, we were on an island, and one of the places we went was some place where we'd sent relief money, and they were showing me a giant boulder. Now, the boulder was 
The boulder is about three quarters the size of this, this, uh, this room. It's a huge boulder, and it had come down off the mountain. And uh, it had gotten there because there had been an earthquake. And it had fallen down the mountain. Underneath the boulder, where you couldn't see and no one would ever see again, was the house and the hut of a family who lived there who had been destroyed and the boulder had come down and, and destroyed the place. And so we were just kind of viewing some of the carnage in that, um, in that village. We were there because in close succession they had had a they had had a tsunami. A lot of times what happens is when earthquakes happen in other places because it's on the, on the ring of fire, on that fault line, when earthquakes happen, those are often filled by tsunamis. And so in the Philippines, sort of like this, the sea can often be a place where the evil comes from. And they had recently had a tsunami and it had flooded even the streets of Manila. And Manila's not, not super inland or super high, but... Um, it's a major city, and so it's weird to see like a major urban city where the water fills the streets up to people's chest. And in that, like hundreds of people had, hundreds of people had died, and everyone I knew and everyone I was friends with there had someone they knew that had been affected. They'd lost somebody. And so it was an interesting thing to be there after a tsunami, after an earthquake, and to stand with people to stand with them in their fear, or not, not their fear, but stand with them and, and know that every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a little shake, that there's a legitimate reason to fear that the mountains might fall upon them or that the sea might overtake them. So I remember we were leaving this little worship service. Um, my friend Pastor Lim had gotten a group together and we had just, uh, we just preached. And we were standing outside, and the, the, I'm going to say the young people, but people in their 20s, you know, college age, college age people, they didn't have anything to do. So they began to sing, right, which is, a, which, which is common. But here's, here's what they sung. When the oceans rise and the thunders roll, roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know that you are God. They'd lost people to that flood. The storms had come. The storms had gotten so bad at one point that it caused mudslides. Mudslides was one of the number one killers in the midst of the flooding and the storms. So what a thing it is to stand with the people in a third world country. Do you know that the, 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 the money system there is the peso? The peso is, is about... 44 to 50 pesos to a dollar. Sometimes when you're buying something small, like 20 bucks, depending on how things are going, you know, you're like, that'll be 9,000 pesos, which seems like a huge amount of money, but it's not. Right? So I asked, I said, why don't they just get rid of the peso so there's like a bigger denomination? It seems like this is too small. Why not get rid of the peso? And this was the answer. They keep the peso because most of the country earns less than one half peso per day. How else would they pay them? So in a country where people earn less than one half peso per day, in a country where they live in, in, in huts, in a country where I've done medical uh, and dental mission work, where I've seen teeth pulled and surgery done on the, essentially on the side of the road because there's, that's not available to them. In a place where the, where the mountains literally fall 
The mountains literally fall and, and they kill people. Where the floods literally rose in the middle of the city, it was up to my friend's chest. I've got video of them walking through it. In the midst of that, when the storms had gotten so bad, the thunders had gotten so bad that it caused mud to slide and swallow and kill people that they knew and that they loved, they began to sing and they sang, I repeat, when the oceans rise and the thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know that you are God. There are so many beautiful promises in this passage. That God is a rock. And ever present, a current help in times of trouble. If you're like me and you're fearful of what's going on, you're like, how will they hear? How will they know? How are people going to know about our Jesus? Here's the promise. I will be exalted in the nations. If you know him, let that make your heart glad. If your family situation is hurt this week, be still. If you're not feeling medically right, if you've got something going on and maybe you haven't told us yet or maybe you don't know yet, when it comes, be still. When the mountains fall and the ocean rises, be still. Know that he is God. I have nothing worthwhile to say to you besides this. He is God. Let's be still in him.